I'm the opposite of Marilyn Monroe, who was this golden goddess who thought that she was a piece of shit. Whereas I was a piece of shit, and I thought I was this bronze mahogany statue. In other words, I will not accept any evaluation of me that doesn't make me feel good. Today we're bringing you a historical figure we'd interview if we could. Since we can't, we want to tell you about someone we admire and think more people should know about. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Brittany Shute. This is Bearcat, a podcast for serious women. And I'm so delighted to dedicate this entire episode to the legacy of Florence Kennedy. Florence Kennedy, that's Florence with a Y, F-L-O-R-Y-N-C-E, left her fingerprints all over history. Florence, or Flo as she was known, was behind so many major sociocultural landmark events that she should really be as famous as Gloria Steinem. Florence Kennedy started a media literacy organization in the 1960s. She was a lawyer who defended famous civil rights organizers and fellow feminist activists. Steinem is sometimes associated with those iconic round frame glasses that she wore back in the 60s, right. but Florence Kennedy wore cowboy hats and pink sunglasses and huge fake eyelashes, along with a lot of other eye-catching accessories. I love that. I love that. <laughs> she's really, she is like incredible. She's really incredible personal well, style. Also, I love that and, she was a very serious yeah. woman who also wore pink sunglasses. Rock on, Flo. Yeah, because you can... You can be serious in a lot of ways, yes. right? Like you can, yes. <laughs> you can be serious about fun. You can be serious about, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the other ways that Florence Kennedy was really serious was that in 1968, she was one of the many organizers behind the Miss America protest. And some of us may remember the 1968 Miss America protest uh, because of the made-up story and subsequent incorrect stereotype that comes out of that protest, which is hmm. bra burning. Didn't actually happen. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. The bra burning feminist trope. I love it. Um, slash hate it. Yeah. By love, I mean hate. And that was where yeah. that happened. <laughs> or so they say. Right. Weren't some of the several hundred women demonstrating arrested for protesting that pageant? Yes, they were. And who was the lawyer that took their cases? <gasps> Flo Kennedy. <laughs> it was Flo Kennedy. This episode of Bearcat is brought to you by Audible. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing on the beach, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime outdoors, and more. Listening is the best way to binge content you love while doing things you love. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summer with more stories like Rebecca Traister's All the Single Ladies, Unmarried Women, and the Rise of an Independent Nation. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books, hands and eyes free, while doing almost anything. Audible members get a credit every month, and unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash bearcat, B-E-A-R-C-A-T, 
or text Bearcat to 500-500. Kennedy was so skilled at working with others to uplift all. Like, the, she's just, there's just con- countless examples. Another example is that she started, uh, she helped start the National Organization of Women, or NOW, which we're all pretty familiar mm-hmm. with. But she left now in 1970 to form her own group, the Feminist Party. Wow. So this is extremely important because the Feminist Party is perhaps best known for nominating Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm to run for president in 1972. Chisholm was the first black woman ever elected to Congress, and she was rightly referenced a lot during the 2016 presidential campaign because in a lot of ways, Shirley Chisholm paved the way for Hillary Clinton. That's fascinating. I definitely heard a lot about the Chisholm-Clinton connection during the 2016 campaigns, but never anything about Flo Kennedy or the Feminist Party, which P.S. needs to be revived. Yes, it does. (laughs) So in 1969, a group of lawyers, including Flo Kennedy, challenged the New York State abortion law, which then paved the way for the law to be liberalized in 1970. And that was a crucial part of the push toward Roe v. Wade in 1973. Wow, that was Kennedy, huh? It's amazing that like we don't hear that much about her. Yes. This is why I wanted to do a tiny episode about her, because her legacy is anything but small, right? She has this outsized role in so many pieces of, I mean, really like not just women's history and not just civil rights history, but just sort of like American history. I mean, she's this really crucial figure that is at all, you know, she's like right in the middle of all of these like key moments. She's behind a lot of Mm -hmm. them. She's the reason for a lot of them. And we just don't, we don't hear about her. By 1974, uh, you know, there were, there, she was getting some mainstream media attention and Florence Kennedy was profiled by People Magazine in 1974 and mm-hmm. the write-up uh, referred to her as, quote, the biggest, loudest, and indisputably the rudest mouth on the battleground where feminist activists and radical politics join in mostly common cause. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> Wow. So the reason that I mention right, <laughs> the reason that I mention this is that if you go looking for Flo Kennedy's biography, if you try to look up anything about her life, you run into this quote everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can't decide how I feel about that. I know because... it feels like a really backhanded compliment, <laughs> right? Like... Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds great, but we, but but we would not be offended by being described that way, and certainly, I don't think Kennedy would have been right. Um, you know, she was known for these very sort of like street theater style protests, but she was a really serious professional who knew how to use the media and the law to achieve really important victories. I mean, landmark victories in yeah. many cases. Yeah, so it sounds I, like know. it. Yeah. So what yeah. was her background? How did she become so pivotal in all of these big cases? So Florence Kennedy was born in Kansas in 1916, and she was the second of five daughters. And it's funny, two of her sisters also became influential activists and writers. Her sister, Faye, is 86 years old, and she's lived in Hawaii since the late 70s. And she was a social worker. Um, Perhaps most notably, she pushed for the recognition of Martin Luther King Jr. Day on the Hawaiian Islands. Jesus, these women. Amazing. I know, right? (laughs) Another Kennedy sister, Joy Kennedy Banks, wrote a book in the 70s called The Neurotic Woman's Guide to Non-Fulfillment. Oh, my God. I love it. And I love that it's like an entire (laughs) clan of bear cats. It's an entire den of Bearcat women. Yes. Just like. <laughs> yes. So uh, Flo's sister Faye uh, 
has been quoted as saying that the New York Post once called them the Black Bronte sisters. Um, <laughs> which is which is fascinating. And I also read that someone is writing a book about Flo, Faye, and Joy. I haven't I haven't figured out who's doing that yet. Um, mm. but I am really eager to read that book that's coming out. Um so to but to also to answer your question. Kennedy, the Kennedys came from very humble origins. Their father was a Pullman porter, and Florence Kennedy worked uh, minimum wage jobs during her 20s. She lived in Kansas, and she really wanted to climb out of that kind of menial work, mm-hmm. and she was she just was sort of looking for years, you know, for methods for doing that. So when she was 29, this is, this is you know, some people would say this is a little late in life, even though it's not, mm-hmm. 29. Mm-hmm. So when she was 29, she moved to New York City, and she enrolled in at Columbia University. Wow. She was one of 10 women in a class of nearly 200 students. Wow. When she graduated in 1949, then she thought, okay, I'm going to apply for law school. And so she went back to Columbia to apply again. Mm-hmm. She was rejected. They're like, they're like, we can't admit you. You're a woman. She's like, well, I'll just say you won't admit me because I'm black. And what do you know? A spot opened up. Nice. Um, I love it. She, she graduated from law school in 1951. And at that time, you know, that was, that was pretty rare, rare for a black woman um, who was also not, you know, she she came from a background that, you know, maybe didn't su- supposedly set her up for that. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. It's also interesting how much her story kind of illustrates that law is this very interesting space for activism. Like her whole story is is that, you know, that like, oh, you can really yeah. use the law in these really interesting kind of advocacy and activism ways. Exactly. And it's probably because she had a legal education, but she also, you know, had sort of worked some of this stuff out on her own. So she became one of those activist intellectuals who like knew how to pick her own battles, but she also ended up ended up being able to use it to defend the rights of others. And she was in particular early in her career, very protective of black artists, intellectual property. So this is again, like a really interesting way to use your skills and your education to achieve, you know, what ends up being really radical means. She protected the creative rights um, of a number of clients that she represented, including jazz greats Charlie Parker and Billie Holiday. Wow. Um, Which, again, why do we not know her name? Why is she not? Seriously. This this is like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is like the fourth or Um, fifth, like, really big deal thing you've mentioned. And, like, it's amazing (laughs) that we don't know her name. Okay, well... Yeah, so wait for it. She also represented civil rights activists H. Rap Brown and Asada Shakur. And after Valerie Solanus uh, shot Andy Warhol, who was her lawyer? Florence Kennedy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> wow. So I wish that Valerie Solanus was not just famous for that crime because her writing, um, which again sort of speaks to this larger moment of history that we're sometimes missing pieces of. Yes. Um, the, the Scum Manifesto, yes. which was published Actually, in 1967. I will say, and this will make you very proud of me, I think, that I didn't know that she was the one that shot Annie Warhol. I knew her only as the Scum Manifesto writer. This does, in fact, make me so happy. <laughs> because most people... <laughs> I was like, the, Valerie the scum Manifesto is a radical a... feminist who wrote Scum Manifesto? Oh, I didn't know she shot Annie also... Warhol. Good on her. No. Oh. <laughs> You're like, you are like, in fact, who did shoot Andy Warhol? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that lady who whose writing is amazing. 
Well, and I mean, the Scum Manifesto is this wonderful piece of writing, yeah. right? Like, like, so and I don't good. mean that all of the content is, um, you know, maybe understandable to everyone that picks it up. Right. But it's a really crucial piece of understanding radical feminism in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. which is, you know, mm-hmm. exactly when Florence Kennedy was doing all this interesting work as well. Yeah. So. so what else was going on in her life around this time? So I mentioned Florence Kennedy's wardrobe earlier. And this is important. In 1965, she started wearing leather trousers and these caps covered in protest buttons and the fake eyelashes and big sunglasses and all these unusual accessories. And I want to be really careful that and what I'm describing could sound like a caricature, but it it isn't. Kennedy's in very intentional fashion decisions in that era. And then that she always she dressed like that you know, from then on, that follows a very specific incident with the police. Oh, wow. What happened? So Kennedy lived in a in a pretty nice neighborhood and she was going home one night and something had happened and there was a police barricade and she crossed it and the police took her, they, they, they arrested her and took her into court. And it was because she said, and I believe her, that they couldn't believe that she could live, that this black woman could live in such a nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And this was a real turning point for her when she sort of had this, this, you know, because she's very aware of these things, but she also was like, you know, I realized then that I had to make things better for all black people. And so she was like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take some chances here. I'm going to, I'm going to really push the, push the envelope, so to speak. That's so interesting. And I think there's actually a whole bunch of interesting history around feminist fashion choices. That, again, we don't hear that much about, you know, where feminists are using clothing to push back against social norms. I feel like we could do a whole episode retracing those choices. <laughs> we could. That's like a whole podcast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I, I mean, and I love this kind of research. And so that's also why, you know, we were talking about um, you know, doing interviewing a lot of women that we love. I we also talked a little bit about you know profiling women that we can't interview but who have incredible stories. Yeah. And so I also really like to nerd out and look look up primary sources. Totally. And so this led me to look up uh, Florence Kennedy's autobiography, Color Me Flow, which can it. actually be, <laughs> it can actually be really hard to find. Um, so I found a library use like a library only use copy mm-hmm. at the public library in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's an incredible book. You basically, you know, you just have to sit there and read it and then give it back to the librarian. It has essays. It has transcripts from speeches that Florence Kennedy gave. They have titles such as social change is where it's at vote power, vote power versus zombieism. And nobody ever died from a blow job, which is about the rights of sex workers. <laughs> Um, and again, Florence Kennedy is just very like out in front of everything these social causes. Yeah. yeah, she's really she's very enlightened and and thoughtful, but also kind of like edgy, like to get people to pay attention. It's really it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's it's crazy because you almost can't sum up her legacy because she was involved in so many things that we are still grappling with today and that we recognize yes. in like modern history. Yes. Yeah. It's. I mean, this is this is the challenge of this, right? Like, there's so many things that we don't have time to talk about mm-hmm. that just this would just go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that I am trying to get everything done before I die. So Flo was known for giving a lot of lectures and talks, and by the 1990s, she was also hosting this 30-minute cable television talk show called The Flo Kennedy Show. It aired in New York City, and there's this amazing archive of the most of the entire show online. We'll link to it in the show notes because it really is a treasure trove. In one episode, though, Flo isn't interviewing a guest. Flo's guest, Diane Abrams, who is a pretty serious bearcat in her own right, uh, and taught the first women and the law class at New York University, comes on and interviews Flo. This works really well because Diane and Flo were friends and colleagues. And you can really get a sense of what a, a truly incredible bearcat Flo was because She's clearly comfortable with herself, and that should be, you know, pretty self-evident from you know, the woman we've been describing. But she's also really comfortable with her friend. Um, and, you know, they basically are just talking for 25 minutes about who Flo is and how she became the activist, um, the lawyer, the, the sort of like very bold, like anti-oppression activist that she was. See, what I see as fun is a gamesmanship that has to do with anti-establishmentarianism. Not just like they're... There are golfers who are really, really good. And I think that as a golfer, I would be terrible. As a skier, I would be awful. I can't even walk. I mean, I, you know, I have this beautiful cane, and sooner or later I'm going to start using it. The real thing that I think is exciting is to deal with what is wrong with the establishment vis-a-vis -vis people. And I think that I've thought about it and done it. Another thing, see, the only thing that I say about myself applies to other people. I know that when I stopped being so ill years and years ago at the very beginning when I had the fused spine and was in the cast and all that stuff. See, the other thing, I never think of myself as disabled. I know I'm a disabled. I know my neck is stiff and I know that I cannot turn. I know that I cannot straighten up. I know I have osteoporosis and three strokes and two heart attacks. But I don't really feel, as long as I try to walk or stand up, as long as I just lie on the bed as I put well, it Well, you certainly up. don't have any trouble expressing yourself verbally, I know, that's but for But the sure. point is that I really regard fighting oppression as a game. Well, like when I, did that start? Oh, well, I used to say when I was, before I came to, to high school, I this said... This still back in Kansas City. In Kansas City. Yeah. I, I was walking to school one day. Daddy hadn't taken our shoes to be half-sold. Those days you had one pair of shoes. And, my, and he didn't pick us up in the car, and I was walking to school, and my sole of my shoe was flapping. Because, you know, the sole would separate it, needed sewing or oh, like half sure, soles yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. right. So I said to myself, I don't care if my sole of my slip shoes are flapping. I have a little stream, I said to myself, I'm right. nine years old or right. four or six or right. 12 or whatever it is. Right. I said, I have a stream that bubbles way down inside of me, and that little stream cannot be reached by any kind, I didn't know the word adversity, mm -hmm. but the point was that even if the soul of my, why, I said to myself, why don't I feel sorry for myself, this little girl said. And then I said, because I have this stream that nothing can touch, nothing can reach, and nobody can make me unhappy. And I don't care, daddy will take my shoe on the weekend, and it will feel so good when I have my new half-soled shoes. Oh, this sounds like the real Flo Kennedy I secret. Know, We're getting it. but me. then the point was that I was, you know, I was explaining to myself why? And my mom always said we were crazy and thought we were happy. And they just they just spend a lot of time talking about, um, you know, how Flo became the person that she is. Here's Flo answering one of Diane's questions. See, I have nobody around me in my immediate environment or in my immediate circle that I'm not satisfied with. Now, they're not perfect and they have faults. But I know a cup is not a lawnmower and I know a watch is not a plant. 
and I know bug spray is not thread. And if you realize that different people are different and have limitations, and yet you can make use of them in the appropriate time, you're not disappointed in people. If you try to turn thread into a motor car or a tire into a plate, you're in big trouble. Bearcat is produced by me, Amy Westervelt. And me, Brittany Shute. Our original music is produced by David Whited, and illustrations for each episode are drawn by Jennifer Kirkham. You can find us online at bearcatpodcast.com. Bearcat is available in the Apple Podcast Store, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Bearcat.